the Horse and Hound podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. We've had a real heat wave this week. It's over 30 degrees where I am. So I hope you're managing to ride early or late and keep yourselves and your horses cool and comfortable. This week, I'll be talking to my colleagues at Horse and Hound about the latest news around COVID-19, as well as some potential changes to anti-doping regulations. Then we'll chat to our guest interviewee, the event rider Polly Jackson, who recalls her first ever ride on the wonderful coloured horse, Two for Joy. It was an eventful one, to say the least. Every time we landed from this fence, he would buck. If he touched the pole or got a bit close to it, he'd land and let me have it. We soon realised that Percy was going to be, you can ride me as long as you understand the rules. And finally, vet Ricky Farr of Farr and Percy Equine explains the most common healthcare mistakes which horse owners make and how to avoid them. Do you actually know your horse? I can probably actually say that the vast majority of you think you do, but do you know them inside out? One of those biggest mistakes that owners make is they don't know. So zip up your boots and let's get going. I'm here with three of my colleagues from Horse and Hound. Eleanor, our news editor. Hi, Eleanor. Hiya. I've got Lucy, our senior news writer. Hello, Lucy. Hello. And Alex Robinson, our showing editor. Hi, Alex. Hi. Great to have you all with us. Eleanor, going to come to you first. You've been looking into the use of indoor schools this week under the current COVID-19 lockdown guidelines. What's happening there? Yeah, so it just it, it seems some people are quite concerned about um, what seems to be inconsistency in the guidelines, because as we reported a couple of weeks ago, uh, the, the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport is saying definitely no indoor sport, and that definitely includes indoor schools. But obviously, some people are saying, well, now non-essential shops are able to open. Uh, why can't we open our indoor schools, which seem to a lot of people to be a lot safer in terms of the virus? Yeah, so there's a point there around the fact that many indoor schools, though they're called indoor, they're not actually all that indoor, are they? They're often not fully sealed. No, and, and Pammy Hutton, our, our columnist and the dressage rider and trainer, sent a brilliant picture that we've used that shows snow that's blown in through her indoor school walls. So that's how gappy they are. And Catherine Waugh, who we've spoken to, she manages Fir Tree Farm Riding School in Newcastle. They've got huge gaps at either end so they can get tractors through. They've got this Yorkshire boarding, which has got gaps between every board. So there's so much ventilation. And she said herself, she feels she's done shopping and she's been in her indoor school and she thinks she's quite clear on what she feels safer doing. Yeah, and of course, quite easy to social distance as well when you're riding in an indoor school. And this is particularly hard on riding schools and centres which only have an indoor school. And so therefore, at the moment, they can't reopen at all, isn't it? Is there any suggestion about when centres might be able to use indoor schools again? Um, So a government spokesman told us last week that indoor leisure venues were in phase three of the post-lockdown roadmap and that reopening would be considered from early July. And then the Secretary of State said... uh, that they were working closely with the sector to get things up and running as soon as it's safe with the aim of the start of July at the very earliest. But then Tuesday, which was the day after we went to press, it emerged that indoor sports venues weren't on the list of things that could open from the 4th of July. So it may not be as soon as we'd hoped. Okay, well, thank you, Eleanor, for explaining all that to us. 
Sticking with coronavirus, there's been a lot of talk since the interruption of the competition season about the impact of this on young riders who are in their final year in an age category. So this would be the last year that they could ride in certain classes. And obviously now those classes generally aren't happening. And Alex has been reporting this week that the British Show Pony Society has reached a decision on whether to change the age limits for platted pony riders in 2021. Alex, what have you found out? What's been decided? So, yeah, there's been a lot of discussion on the show scene at the minute as to whether the BSPS should um, allow jockeys who are in their final year of a certain class to be able to ride and have that final year next year. So this applies to young riders of show ponies, mini ponies, hunter ponies, worker ponies and year intermediates. Um, So it's actually been decided that they're not going to change the the age restrictions um, next year. So, yes, some jockeys will unfortunately be missing out on that final uh, year in a certain class. And can you tell us some of the aspects that were taken into consideration in reaching the decision? What did the BSPS think about? Yeah, so I spoke to um, Paul Cook, who is the national vice chairman, and he said that it was a really difficult decision as there's obviously pros and cons for both. Um, but they they have to work in conjunction with um, their major partners and they include um, the Royal International and the Horse of the Year show, which as we know are the, the main showing championships. And they kind of decided that the main reason to keep the ages for this season was that if they allowed older children to ride next year this would mean that those entry-level riders so you're really really young jockeys who are entering the BSPS and your other children who are moving on to new sections next year would maybe be at a disadvantage um, having to compete against older children and there was also the the ongoing issue that riders um, rider suitability and a lot of discussion in recent years about the weight of riders on certain ponies so perhaps if you're letting older children ride smaller ponies that that might um kind of rear its ugly head again um but the bsps basically said that they think this is the best uh, long-term solution for everyone uh, and the main thing is that they've made an early decision so riders can can make plans for next season whether that's getting a new pony or selling an old one or getting some more training in um yeah that's kind of what was decided gosh it's a tricky one isn't it there are so many things to take into mm. account and to try and be be fair to everybody and you've spoken to the connections of some of these young competitors as well do they support this decision or not it was a very very split decision and there was going to be a lot of disappointed riders and parents um especially um say first ridden jockeys who are going to be going to be too old to contend the mini classes next year they're going to have to step up into the opens which is a lot more pressure it's a lot more you need a lot um more riding ability um so as well your lead range jockeys who are going to have to kind of go off the lead next year and, and you're working on riders who are going to have to take on those bigger tracks and ride those bigger ponies um so there, there has been a lot of disappointment and i think as well with children a lot of kids are kind of smaller and they're going to struggle to contend these more advanced classes without this year of experience which they're going to have lost but yeah the BSPS have they they just took into account all the viewpoints and this is kind of what they've decided. Thank you Alex that's really interesting to hear but of course age limits don't only apply in showing the pony junior children on horses and young rider championships in other sports in eventing show jumping and dressage have been affected too. 
Lucy, can you tell us which championships are still on in those Olympic disciplines and which are definitely off? Yes. So this time, two months ago, um, I think I was writing about it, uh, all the European youth championships across the Olympic disciplines were, were off, which was really sad, but not hugely surprising. However, uh, we've recently heard that there's some exciting news that the dressage championships um the full youth European dressage championships, so that's the under 25s, young riders, juniors, children and ponies are now going to take place from 11th to 27th of August in Hungary, which is exciting to hear. <laughs> yeah, so uncancelled seems to be another new word in our vocab this year alongside Absolutely. lockdown and social distancing. And um, it's such a tough one, isn't it? I can see that it would be weird if they allowed riders another year in each category. The riders coming in at the bottom in each category would be disadvantaged because they would be up against the older, more experienced riders, although it might seem fair to give those older riders another year. It's such a difficult one. It's so tricky. And I think a lot of this crosses over to what Alex has just said in the showing world as well. And I wonder how it could work. And I'm sure those thoughts of experience and age gaps and all those things are being sort of weighed up by um, the international governing body, the FEI, as well as, you know, each individual sport too. So I was sort of thinking perhaps maybe it's easier at the upper end, perhaps say extending young riders up to under 22s. But then again, that in itself would widen the age gap for those at the younger end. And then, of course, you've got juniors, which already is only a two-year category anyway. So in theory, you could end up from someone going straight from ponies with one year in juniors to young riders. And it, it's quite mind-boggling when you start to think about it. Um, but then again, it must be, I really do feel for those riders who are perhaps in their last year of these sections and are already sort of thinking that, you know, at the end of the season, they might be their pony or their horse might be move, moving on to, to the next generation coming through and they're having to make decisions about that a lot earlier perhaps than than they would have been so yeah as you said very tricky and a lot to think about yeah I think in all circumstances this year like everyone's sort of losing a year and it's kind of the worst for people who are either in their first year of something or their last year of something people who are just sort of trolling along with their life it's like "Mm, well I'm losing a year but if you're in your first year or your last year it just feels particularly devastating completely and there are so many knock-on effects as you say if they were to extend the years are there any organizers or governing bodies who are coming up with innovative solutions to, to help the situation Lucy? Yes, so we've seen some already and I wouldn't be surprised if we start to hear quite a a bit more as well. I'd like to think so, um, of things popping up across the disciplines nationally and internationally. So things we've already heard that are happening is British Eventing has promised promised us a one-off under-19 championships next year, national championships, uh, which is nice for those riders who are perhaps in their last year of juniors this year. And um, Stragan, which was set to hold the Pony Europeans, is holding a Pony Masters in the autumn, which I think is a great idea as well. Mm, So that's a great way for people to maybe finish their pony career at something which has some sort of championship aspect, if not the European, the European moniker as such. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Lucy. And thank you, Alex, for uh, for explaining those those stories to us across the disciplines. Moving away from coronavirus, Eleanor, you've been working on an important story about changes to the anti-doping rules for horses. What's happening there? Yeah, so the um, World Anti-Doping Agency uh, is is introducing a new code on the 1st of January next year. And so the FEI is looking at its, because it's compliant with the WADA code, the FEI is looking at its own anti-doping rules. And they have said, the FEI has told us they are proposing changes to their rules. Hmm, that's interesting. What are the sort of big areas they're talking about changing and what are the riders concerned about that they would like to see changes to? 
Well, we uh, we've reported on a few, quite a few cases of, of this and riders' concerns. Is um, you know we've been told that riders are quote living in fear of accidental contamination because the tests can pick up picograms of prohibited substances, which is enough to mean a positive test and disqualification. And they're saying you know you you can't be with your horse twenty four hours a day, you just can't. And there are so many uh, ways that horses can accidentally be contaminated. Mm, yeah, that's a big concern for riders at, at all mm. levels, I think, and particularly, obviously, top-level riders. And what are the next steps in, in this process? Obviously, there's a few organisations and things interlinking, but what's what are the next steps to what's going to happen? So the FEI is doing this review and it's having a meeting this week. And they're saying that they are proposing changes and they're saying they're very conscious of concerns about contamination. So they've included a section on contamination in a review that they've sent to national federations. Um, so they're going to put a draft of these proposals to the FEI board and then they'll send that out to all the federations and stakeholders for comments. Uh, and then finally, they'll all vote on it at the General Assembly in November. Hmm. Thank you, Eleanor. And thank you again to Lucy and Alex for bringing us up to date with uh, with this week's news. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. I'm delighted to introduce our guest for today, Polly Jackson. Hello, Polly. How are you? I'm good. Hi, Papa. How's everything going? It's good. Thank you. So this week in Horse and Hound magazine, we have our Coloured Horse special. And of course, Polly's link to Coloured Horses will be obvious to many of our listeners because, of course, Polly rode the wonderful Tiny Skewbald 2 for Joy. He was known as Percy. He went round badminton. He went round the 2005 European Championships. And he was very sadly put down in May this year at the age of 30. Polly, tell us how you first came to ride Percy and to know him. Um, I first got to know about Percy in about 1999, I think it was. Uh, an Italian rider had been riding him and they didn't really click. Uh, he was a character, that's for sure. Um, so whoever did ride him had to sort of ride him the way he wanted to be ridden. So he didn't get on with every rider. And unfortunately, he didn't get on with this particular Italian rider that had him. And so she said she was going to sell him. I got the phone call to say that he'd probably suit me um, from a friend of mine called Juna Trevoropa and another lady called Mandy Stibby, who was actually at the time was the selector for the British team. And she just said, I recommend you go and see him. He's a fabulous little horse with he's more of a big horse. But if you click, you guys could do amazing things. So he was up in Scotland at the time. He wasn't in Italy. He'd come over to be sold at a, uh, at a yard up in Scotland somewhere. And I remember driving through the night because um, I had to leave the yard and bombed up there and to meet him it was quite a shock when I saw how little he actually was when I did eventually get to see him and sit on him yeah and he really was barely more than a pony he was just 14 three how did you react to his size did you think gosh he could never do the job or, or were you quite hopeful I've always I, no I didn't really think that because the two like I say Mandy and Julian had recommended him and they'd seen him go around Wesley at the time which was a training base for the, the Bushy camp at the time and he jumped all the big stuff and they said look he's amazing he just needs somebody that gets him um, and I said, well, all I can do is try him and let's see if we click. And I look, put my head over the stable and he was stood at the back of the stable. He wasn't really that forthcoming. And I just remember thinking, wow, he's tiny. But what really got struck me was how short and compact he was. He wasn't, um, he was tiny. You could put your hand on the front of his chest and touch his tail. That's, you know, my arm length was what could sort of um, reach from one end to the other. And then when he sort of came over, he was like, he, he was never a grumpy, never grumpy. There was never a grumpy bone in his body, but he, um, he was very sort of timid is the word. 
uh, I suppose I'd use, but with a sort of his own assurance, he wasn't really bothered about people. People hadn't really been much to him. And so when they pulled out the tack to put him on and they put the saddle on him, I realised how, because they only had obviously one saddle for most of the horses in the yard and they wouldn't have pony saddles. Um, it nearly touched his, you know, it was well over down his back. And I remember thinking, gosh, I'm going to have to get a new saddle, that's for sure. And he had almost, I think he was from a show pony background, wasn't he? So he was not only short, but he was, as you say, a very compact, a very light little horse in his, in his build. Yeah, I mean, he was beautiful put together, I have to admit, you know, like, and his markings were very striking. I think that's why they probably took him into the showing. It just that Percy did not like showing. He was apparently, according to Ian Wills, who rescued him sort of from the showing, he was uh, rather opinionated and didn't exactly do what they were asking him to do, to trot around quietly. I think he did airs above, probably knowing Percy, a lot of bucks as well with that. <laughs> And when you had him as a young horse and you were starting to train him up through the levels for eventing, what sort of character was he and how did the two of you bond and gel? Well, the, the funniest was actually when he came down, when I got him in the stable, I said, let's just see him, what he's like, we'll have a trot round. And I got on him and we put up just a, I think there was a couple of fences in the school and I thought, well, here we go, we'll have a play with these and see what we get. Well, Every time I landed from this fence, he would buck as high. If he touched the pole or got a bit close to it, he'd land and let me have it. And I remember this the day I said, oh, go on to my head girl, who was, who's my best friend. I said, have a sit on Nick, you know, see what you think. Because she'd rode all my horses. She was riding my other top horse, five star. And she says, OK, have a sit on. And she's a bit taller than me. She says, I, don't, I, need, I need to hitch my stirrups up. Anyway, they had a little canter round and Nicola came down over this fence well she literally flew I mean Percy let her landing on landing let her have it and next thing Nicola's on the floor looking back at me going well he can jump because he can buck (laughs) and that that was the sort of the first bit we soon realized that Percy was going to be you can ride me as long as you understand the rules and and that's how he sort of trained him as as long as you kept him um, busy and he was very intelligent you had to keep him don't do anything loads of times he wasn't one for that he didn't read retraining he was very self-assured with his jump He'd be bored at home very easily. So you always had to keep it interesting. And just skipping ahead to his later career, I remember watching your cross-country round at Badminton in 2005. And I don't think I've ever seen anyone smile so much while they are actually going cross-country. I've seen plenty of people smile afterwards, but you were just (laughs) grinning from ear to ear the whole way round. What was that round like? Yeah, uh, it was one of those perfect rounds. Other than the little mishap we had at third at the drop, just because... A child was screaming for him. He just got a bit spooked by the crowds. It wasn't his fault. And to be fair, he was probably the cleverer one of the two because he tried to make it easy so that, you know, he's always a clever thinker. He was never, ever wanting not to jump. He was always a very clever on his feet. And the minute he could open that stride up, because he had a huge stride, so the cross country was always very, felt very easy. You could just get in that rhythm. And I remember there was a, a double of corners on a very severe angle that people weren't really getting. But I always had um, a plan that, you know, what I got in there would be what I feel. And as long as I got him in right on the first one, it would be fine. Well, he made it three strides. And I remember just thinking it was so easy, just the angle he could take on him. He was so adjustable. I think that's it. It was it was a pleasure to ride. And when it's going your way, it, there's nothing better than going around Burley or Babington. It's when it's not going your way. Then you, I'm sure that's why a lot of people won't be smiling. But he always made it feel very easy. You never in, His legs would be up by his ears. You, you always felt very safe on him, even though he's little. He had plenty of power, plenty of jump. And he was, like I say, very self-confident little horse. He was never going to put his leg in anything. He was always knew where he was. And his colour and his size meant that he really attracted quite a fan club as well, didn't he? Oh, yes. 
I've never, I've never experienced. I suppose even now he's not around and he still, he still gets talked about, which is just so endearing to him because he wasn't a fan of crowds in the sense when they hoarded around him. It was more children and their parents. So they, they would associate him, I suppose, to the ponies that they'd be taking to pony club. And they're like, you could do this on, 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 on Star. And, you know, that, that was it. It was that sort of, he was a model, I suppose, that anything, any horse can, is capable if they've got the right attitude to do that, to do such thing, things like Burley and Babington. Yeah, that's exactly what I wrote down in my notes before this interview was that he was a horse, I think, that a lot of little girls stuck up on their wall because it was it felt like they could take their pony club pony round Babington. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they all could identify with him. And I think that was what made him so popular and I mean I mean on the morning of before our cross country round he had Claire Balding obviously she was a look she was a big fan of him and she catches can we do an interview with you in the stable before you go cross country and I said I'm sure but he's not the most um he probably won't smile for the cameras he'll stand at the back and sure enough he stood at the back of the stable sort of going what are you doing I'm in my zone I'm focusing and of course after the cross country when they came back to see him then and they were like wow 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 can we you know he's a completely different cock of the walk sort of so he, he he knew his job and that um, was what and he was so confident that's what made him so special and I think we have in eventing sometimes traditionally been a little bit about maybe snooty about coloured horses maybe you know thinking they're a bit common or they're not good enough or the dressage judges won't like them do you think that maybe he helped to break down some barriers in terms of saying you know a little horse and a, and a horse uh, that, that was coloured really could compete at that top level yeah, oh, definitely. Um, I can tell you a story about Tim Stockdale when uh, one winter show jumping, I was out jumping him and uh, he, he came over and was like, that can't jump. That's got to be pulling out a car. Th- those things can never do it. And I thought, you've not met this little fellow. And we did. I think it was just the fox hunter. But I remember that gave him and me that probably that grit. And we won the class. And there was all like Billy Toomey, Michael Whitaker, Tim and their boys, you know, they were all training with them and Percy pulled it out of the bag. And I remember the turn we did to get the time. And then he had to walk over and he did say, OK, I take it back. He's a bit unreal. And I said, yes, he's pretty special. Yeah. And if you can get that that partnership and obviously you're quite a, a small person as well physically. So you were really able to be the right the right rider for him and not not too big or heavy and, and form that really great partnership with him as well. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we were we were made for each other, which is you know you can't say that. But I've only had very few horses in in my career that I can say that for sure. And you were then on the British squad for the European Championships at Blenheim in the autumn of two thousand and five with Percy. After that wonderful badminton, where you were just denied the clear round by that controversial twenty penalties, but you made it onto the British squad for the Europeans in the autumn. What did that mean to you to get that that call up and get the Union flag? It was amazing. Um, we were called, unfortunately, for somebody, you know, uh, misfortune. Bumble Thomas couldn't do it. Her horse got injured just before. Um, and we were at Burley at the time and I was all red for Burley. And uh, I'd just done the dressage. Um, and I remember coming out and I got back and I got a phone call from Yogi, I think it was. And I just remember saying, would you like to come to Blenheim? Would like Percy to come? And I said, I would love to represent the team. I've always been a team player. I love team sports. And to actually get called up to go to Blenheim with the team again, I, 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 it was yeah, a special part of my career, really. Yeah. And tell us how that event went and what it was like to be inside the British camp and, and how things panned out for you and Percy. Oh, it was good. Unfortunately, Percy wasn't himself that week. Um, so we we he got bitten by some flies um, at Burley on his back and he just wasn't himself. So I couldn't really 
do what we needed to do. So he was um, below par that day, as you probably saw. He had he gained twenty penalties there, just as a very simple, straightforward fence at the top of the hill. He was definitely a bit flatter. So the event didn't quite go as for me competitive as I'd liked it to be, as you probably can see from if anyone watched the video when I got off at the finish. Normally I'm dancing around, but I was a bit like, "What happened?" sort of thing. Um, but to be in the tank camp and um, I, I sort of made some really great friends. Is the first sort of time I'd got to meet Zara actually, and Zara was brilliant to me because it was her first time on team as well, and we sort of bonded us over it, and we spent a lot of time sort of getting to know the big boys because you're always in awe of the likes of Pippa and William and uh, Jeanette who were all there, and they'd been with the team for a long, long time. So it was nice to have sort of some younger blood as well, sort of my age as well. There, that Ollie was there for the first time as well, Ollie Townend. So yeah, it was great, and it's always a good camaraderie in the camp. Um, I'd just like I think I'd like to do it again someday maybe the Olympics that's the that's the main goal <laughs> yeah so Zara had an amazing week that week didn't she getting the oh, individual yeah. goal with Toy Town and of course there was another coloured horse in that squad because Matt Wright rode park pilot so there were two coloured horses on that on that squad yeah. that week which is quite a fun coincidence too and just referring to the Olympics there Polly you didn't ever take two for joy Percy to an Olympics but you did take him to the test event in Athens which is an event that an Olympic site will always run a year before an Olympics to test out their facilities and see how everything is going to work. Did that give you sort of a, a taste of the Olympic fever and what it might be like? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was lucky enough. I went to Olympics as well with my husband, Niall, and so that gave him even more of a taste of the Olympics. And I've always been a reserve, which has always kept me hungry for more. And later in life, I've sort of been a bit more laid back of it. It'll be what it'll be. But at that age, yes, definitely. It's always been my goal, I think. Well, it's those horses that keep us dreaming, isn't it? And, and Percy was definitely a special one. Polly, just to round up, tell us a little bit about what's happening right now with you. How has lockdown been for you? Where have you been based and what's been going on? I'm based actually currently mainly in the UK. Um, so my lockdown's been spent building cross-country fences, building a new water complex at our yard in Canolton in, in Nottinghamshire. I'm just producing the young horses on. I've turned out some of the older ones. So I've been probably doing what most people do is getting their place looking ship shape. We've, uh, we're just developing a really nice training cross-country course, which leads on to our gallops. Um, so that's really, so it's, I've been very busy actually. And you and Niall, between you, have your fingers in a lot of pies, obviously, with the property in Ireland and, and the Monarch sale that you run out there as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah, Niall's been busy because we we decided to lock down sort of with Niall in Ireland because he was in the midst, literally in the middle of running all our events, our spring events. We tend to run a lot of affiliated events before the season starts. And he was actually in the process of doing all of that. So he ended up staying here for security reasons to make sure somebody's on the farm with everything locked down. Um, so, yeah, lots of things happening. We're just starting the events in Ireland now. We've got um, just an unaffiliated running for them, for everybody in sort of the Wexford area so they can get out and about before hopefully the season starts desperately. Yeah, it's a bit of a late start to the season this year, but hopefully we're going to get out and get some eventing again. Well, Polly, it's been lovely to talk to you and to hear those wonderful memories of Percy. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you very much, Pippa. Vet Ricky Farnow, who has some advice on common healthcare mistakes made by horse owners. Today, it was one of those days that I was in the office and I actually asked um, everyone in the office, vets, receptions and nurses alike, um, what they thought the most common healthcare mistakes were that owners made with regards to horses. And it was quite an interesting um, bag that came back. Um, but in addition, there are a lot of very similar ones, ones that were being repeated again and again and again. So I wanted to just go through a few of those. 
I think one of the, the biggest ones that came from one of our nurses, which is an absolute classic, is do you actually know your horse? I can probably actually say that the vast majority of you think you do, but do you know them inside out? What's the normal weight of your horse for that time of year? What's your horse's normal temperature? There is a natural variability with all individuals. What's your horse's normal resting heart rate? These are all the things that we kind of like to know when we're coming out to you and when we're assessing things like colics. Is your horse stoical? How does it react to pain? Things like that. They're really important. But I think one of those biggest mistakes that owners make is they don't know. With your hand on your heart, can you say that you could walk down to the yard now and pick up a thermometer that is already on the yard and go and take your horse's temperature? When was the last time you did it? If you can be doing that once a month, it's once a month more than most people, but it's going to be a massive thing. I think that's a massive mistake that owners think they know, but they don't. It will help us out as veterinary surgeons massively when you come down to actually treating them. One of the probably the banes of my life um, and most vets is uh, the proverbial Dr. Google. Um, how many people hop online and do self-diagnosis? You must do it for yourself. And you get embroiled in all of this anecdotal evidence, this hearsay, try something, try something new, have a look around. If the one thing I could advise is please don't try any of that if you have to go online and you want to look at something. And I, I tell there's one resource for most clients that I advise to go to, and it's a website called PubMed. So exactly how it sounds, P-U-B-M-E-D. PubMed is a... It's a database of a whole load of peer-reviewed medical journals. Uh, There's about 30 million papers on there. It will give you an abstract. It covers not only veterinary, but it also covers the human field. If you want anything where to go to get nice, basic evidence to start with, and I have to admit, I've sent some clients there and have actually found stuff that I didn't know, and that's great. I don't mind that, but it's, it's journals that we can look at. It's actual data that's actually been used please use PubMed, not Google. Uh, Anyone can write anything on the internet, but at least with PubMed, you know what you're actually getting. Going over to other uses, we get a lot of telephone calls saying, oh, my horse has got a fat leg. Can you just send me out some antibiotics? Again, it's another one of those kind of mistakes that antibiotics are that magical bullet that everyone can use and everything requires antibiotics. That's far from the case. We have to be responsible with regards to antibiotic usage. We're seeing those issues in the human field with antibiotic resistance. We do see it in the veterinary field as well. Unscrupulous use of antibiotics is going to cause us problems in the future. We're having to be careful with them. Every case is individual. So just immediately thinking, right, I'll, I'll grab hold of that box of antibiotics and it's going to cure it, probably is not the way to go. Just get us involved first and have a chat and get us to have a look. Another big one is the use of wormers. The internet pharmacy or the boom of the internet pharmacy has again been another, not I wouldn't say thorn in the side of, but it's definitely been an issue when it comes to wormers and veterinary practices. It's very easy just to hop online, buy a five, six pound wormer and dump it in. There has to be a lot more decision making factors that go into your choice of of anthelmintic or wormer that you're using. It has to be done on a yard to yard and a horse by horse basis blanketly doing one and then ordering 50 60 for your yard and then they all come and are all dosed is 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 a bit of an issue so i think that is a major problem that um, most yards are, are actually almost guilty of 
So again, those most common health care mistakes that owners make, bad estimations of weight. Um, okay, can you put your hand on your heart and say how much you weigh now? When was the last time you actually weighed yourself? When was the last time you weighed your horse? When it comes to weighing and it comes to drug administration or feeding, and knowing an accurate weight is really, really important. Uh, everyone under or overestimate, well, quite often underestimates the weight. 500 kilo horse is actually quite lean. Um, you'll be surprised that you'll see a lot of ponies that are 500 kilos plus and only sitting around about the 15 hand mark and everything. So it's quite worrying. So again, that's one little mistake that is easily corrected with the use of weigh bridges, weigh tapes and constant body condition scoring. One of our other vets said one of her major quibbles, and I think it's, again, an issue throughout most domesticated species, is overfeeding. I currently can look across the room that I'm in now and I can see an apple and a pan of chocolat. Genuinely, I would rather go for the pan of chocolat than the apple. It's exactly the same. A horse will always categorically woof down that great big bowl of hard feed and then go on to the hay afterwards. We should be considering the calorific intake of what we're actually putting into our uh, into our animals. We should be always considering, are we overfeeding our animals for the level of exercise that they're actually doing? So one of those bad mistakes that can easily be made, oh, can't exercise today, don't worry, just stick another hay net in, I'm going to feed it tonight again. Does it really need it? One of probably my biggest bugbears with regards to mistakes is conditions that have been left too long before we get involved. One of those biggest ones that I tend to find is actually um, skin lesions such as sarcoids. That essentially, sarcoids are a type of skin tumour and they should be treated with that due respect. They are a tumour. So hopping online and finding a, a lotion or potion that someone has suggested on a forum is not the way to do it waiting until it reaches the size of a gala melon is probably way too long to leave it if you notice an issue get it having looked at so leaving those things too long it is a is a classical mistake that can actually end up being more financially sort of damaging for for you as, a, as an owner and i think one of the final things to um to comment on on those healthcare mistakes is that most people think there's a magic bullet out there everyone's after that one single shot, that one single sachet to cure all. You're dealing with a biological organism that has multiple factors involved. Um, it's not like a car where you can just take a part out and replace it. There's a lot going on. Multifaceted treatments are quite common. And for us to understand and appreciate that, again, I think it's a mistake that most owners think you'll just come in, you'll sort it, you'll be done and dusted all in an hour. It's probably not the case. So that's a list of what we came up with very briefly within the practice, literally over a cup of coffee. But if you're ever unsure, just pick up that phone, call your veterinary practice. There's always advice and help on the end of that line. Big thanks to Vet Ricky Farr. More from him next week when we'll be talking about gastric ulcers. That's it for today. Have a good few days. Next time, we'll also be talking to Dr. Dressage rider Anna Ross and catching up on all the week's news as normal. See you then. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.